The word of our Lord from the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so Jesus answered him and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. And from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. As surely I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. When the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the, till the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already, 
and they did not know him, but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. But the third day he will be raised up. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Father, we pray that you would bless the reading of your holy word. We pray that you would minister to us through it. And we pray that you would enable us and strengthen us and prepare us to follow your son Jesus as he leads us to the cross. In his name we pray. Amen. Nothing will withstand the kingdom of heaven. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Not even hell itself, Jesus says. Not death. Not hell. Not Satan and all of his minions. Nothing will withstand the kingdom of heaven. But what is the kingdom of heaven? Is the kingdom of heaven a way of referring to the life that is to come? In the scriptures, no, the kingdom of heaven is not about the life that is to come. The kingdom of heaven is something that begins to take place in this life now. The kingdom of heaven is the reality of God's rule and reign in the hearts and lives of His people and in the church. It's a reality that Jesus brought when He declared, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it is a reality that Jesus taught when He instructed us to pray, Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Living in the reality of the kingdom means living in the reality that is already here, though not yet fully. At least not yet to the extent that it will one day be. And so we live, as it were, on a bridge between two worlds, as Lindsay shared a couple of weeks ago, we, we live in the doorway between eternity and mortality, between heaven and earth, between God's realm and ours. Tom, if you haven't listened to the podcast two weeks ago, I meant to send you, send you an email, but you get it in person. You ought to go listen to that sermon from Sanctity of Life Sunday. This is the mission of the church to preach and proclaim the kingdom and not just to preach and proclaim the kingdom but to live in its reality as kingdom ambassadors in the midst of the false kingdoms of this world we are a different people 
We are God's people. We are people of heaven. And so as we go about our days, as we live our mundane lives, as we go about our business, as we shop for groceries, as we cook for the kids, as we discipline the kids, as we do whatever it is that we must do in this world, we do so as kingdom ambassadors. We're not just getting by. We're not just passing time. We're not just looking to be entertained. We are living as God's people in the midst of a world that He made and declared to be good and that fell away from Him and rejected Him. And a world that He sent His Son Jesus to redeem, to rescue. And nothing will withstand that kingdom. Nothing. The folks, we see it in Peter's rebuke of Jesus. And perhaps we scratch our heads and say, Oh my goodness, Peter, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Well, he's always doing and thinking what the disciples wish they could do, and are really thinking, but are too cowardly to say. He's thinking and doing what we oftentimes in our own lives do. He pulls Jesus aside and says, Oh no, Jesus, God forbid it. Not my king. Not on my watch. That'll never happen to you. And Peter immediately rebukes Jesus, immediately rebukes Peter with the sternest of all possible rebukes. Get behind me, Satan. Here is Satan again, trying to foil the plan of God. And Jesus' correction to Peter is very telling. You are not minded like God is minded. You are minded like men are minded. You're thinking just like the rest of them. You're thinking just like the world thinks. What would motivate Peter to give such a stern rebuke to Jesus? It hit me a couple of weeks ago that there are a few things, or a couple of things, that, um, that I think are, are going on in Peter's heart and mind as he is very clearly wanting to follow Jesus. He doesn't abandon him even, even after Jesus calls him Satan. He doesn't abandon him. Yes, he'll deny him later, but Peter is struggling to live in this reality between two worlds and between two principles that are going on in his heart. One thing that's happening in Peter is very telling of all of us. No one wants to follow a crucified Lord. The flesh, that is the desire 
within us for self-empowerment, for self-sufficiency, and for self-determination. That flesh, that principle within cries out, never. Because no one wants to follow a crucified Lord. A crucified Lord means a defeated Lord. A Lord who's given Himself away. A a, a Lord who has entrusted Himself to others who have harmed Him. But this is the only way that Jesus came. This is the only rescue that is offered. The only rescue that is offered to the world, the only rescue that is offered to us, is a crucified Lord. But is this really the center of our concern? To not follow a crucified Lord? And I don't think it is. Jesus' call to follow is a call to the cross that awaits us. He calls us to die. And so it's not just that no one wants to follow a crucified Lord. Deep down into the core of our beings, there is this principle. No one wants to live a crucified life. Because to live a crucified life means that there's a cross before me. And more specifically, there's a cross behind me pressed up against my back. And it's hard to breathe To live a crucified life means to have completely surrendered. Crucifixion means loss. It means death. It means defeat. Yeah, it means pain and suffering and death and defeat. But the thing about crucifixion is it also means rejection and abandonment. Not abandonment by God. The Father did not abandon the Son on the cross. Even when we sing of the Father turning His face away, it's helpful to keep in mind that if looking at the cross of Jesus does not cause us at some points in our lives to wince and to not want to look, then we're not really looking at the cross of Jesus. Because the cross of Jesus means pain. It means rejection. It means to be left alone. To be abandoned. And the cross means there's no getting down. When you're on the cross, you're there. You have no use of your hands, no use of your feet. The best you can do is to push up for breath. And no one wants to live a crucified life. Because living a crucified life hurts. 
not always fun. It's not always thrilling and entertaining. But it is always life-giving. This is the way of the kingdom. Life through death. Not life around death, bypassing death, going under it, avoiding it, but life through death. What is offered to us is resurrection, which is not a denial of death, but is the defeat of death. Life presses on through it. The scientists from the original Jurassic Park, for you nerds out there, I never even saw it until a couple years ago when Topher was obsessed with it. When he said, life always finds a way, he was almost right. Jesus always finds a way. The kingdom always finds a way. The king always finds a way. But that way is through death. That way is through surrender. That way to life is found in laying one's life down. The economy of the king is quite simple, though it seems upside down in a world that puts supreme value on the self and trades in self-empowerment and self-sufficiency and self-determination. The economy of the king says, grasp your life and lose it. Surrender your life and keep it. Gain everything and lose the only thing that really matters, yourself. Lose everything and gain the only thing that really matters, yourself. God is gracious to give us glimpses of the kingdom even now as we await its fullness. There are moments in our lives where we are reminded that God is doing something miraculous among us. That He really can do the greatest of all miracles and transform a human heart. That He really can put life back together. That He really can heal broken relationships that He can do all things and that we are living in the reality of His goodness and His glory. On the mountain of transfiguration, we're given a peek at what lies behind the curtain along with these three disciples of Jesus. There Jesus is seen in His glory, the glory of the only begotten Son. And He's shining Brilliance and splendor. There, the thin veil between heaven and earth becomes a little bit more transparent. There's Moses and Elijah, and they're just chatting away with Jesus. To get a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven is at once both good and terrifying. 
Peter, James, and John, they got it. Boy, it's good to be here, Jesus. And yet, like Israel, at the foot of Mount Sinai, they trembled at the voice of God. The cloud descended. And God spoke. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Hear what he has to say. What he is telling you. So they tremble at the voice of God. This cannot turn out well for us, Israel said. God is too holy for us and we are too unholy. We're not enough like Him. Notice how Jesus then touches His disciples as they are trembling and cowering their face to the earth. He touches them and comforts them. There's nothing to fear. But then it's time to go back home. Back down the mountain, back to the base camp. I imagine the heads of these three disciples were spinning. What in the world have we just witnessed? Was that really Moses? Was that really Elijah? Peter, what in the world were you thinking? Three tabernacles? I didn't know what to say. As they descend back down the mountain to gather up with the other nine disciples, Jesus begins to teach them. And one of the things that's so disconcerting and uncomfortable for them is when it begins to dawn on them that the world does whatever it wishes to those who surrender themselves to the cross that lies before them. The disciples realize that the promised Elijah character who would go before Jesus was in fact John the baptizer. He'd just been beheaded two chapters prior. Yikes. That's not very promising, is it? Whatever happened to the power of positive thinking? Whatever happened to living my best life now? Really, Jesus? John the Baptist was the the man of great power who is to be your forerunner? He's lost his head. But surrender and death is the only way to redemption. That's the only way to glory. 
as the hymn writer declared, the way of the cross leads home. There is no other way home. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death, the Proverbs tell us. Jesus urged his disciples, enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, but narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Why are there so few who find it? Is it elusive? Does it not want to be found? No, we are elusive. And we don't want to find it. We don't want to go that way. We don't want to follow a crucified Lord. And we certainly don't want to live a crucified life. Every bit of our flesh cries out, No. Never. Is there any other way? The gospel tells us that they were exceedingly sorrowful. But Jesus pressed on right into the bowels of hell. Come on, boys. It's time to pack up. Jerusalem awaits us. Redemption awaits us. Glory awaits us. The cross awaits us. That is the way to redemption. That is the way to life. Because that is the way of the kingdom. Let's pray.